Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. What up, peeps? Top of the hour. That makes it 1 p.m. on the East Coast. This is the final market call for the month of June. Now, as you know, the month of June, Dan, the symbol is M. July, we're approaching. That would be the letter N. We'll talk about that soon. But I am Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan. And you know it's Thursday. We will be joined in just a few minutes by EY from SoFi. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, Dan, SoFi. Who doesn't want to get their money right all in one app? I know I do, peeps, and we're powered by Open Exchange. Now, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, I guess the half a year is over today. Not a good half uh, for stocks this first six months of the year. Yields moving. We're going to talk about Liz with all those things. But, Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, guy. That was a mouthful for you, buddy, huh? I mean, here we are. Well, you know, we have a lot to unravel here. You know, the first half of the year is over. We're approaching the second half of the year. Market's trying to stage a bit of a comeback here. Uh, There's just a lot going on. Yeah, I, I mean, listen again. I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about Liz. Um, her note: she spent um, a lot of time talking about the two ten, um, the, the 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 spread. You know, we've been talking about it. The inversion. You Nostradami called it way back when. You thought it was gonna happen, and you know, we just we spent a lot of time talking about what it meant for stocks and what it means for stocks historically, and what it means for the economy. And obviously, you know, almost every recession that we've had in the last hundred years has been preceded by um, a yield curve inversion. Here, you know the. 10-year, though, guy, you know, you started this year, I think the 10-year was at about 1%, right? And you thought we'd make a quick run to 2% and then 3%. And, you know, we started the second quarter at 2% on the yield in the 10-year. And it went, you know, overshot those 2018 highs, um, went to 35 or so, got back below those 2018 highs. And now it's kind of contending with that as technical resistance. Recently, you said you think you could see the 10-year go to 275. And just look at the one-year chart or, or basically year to date here you know that makes sense you know we've broken that uptrend that has been in place right for um you know the last six months or so and now that three percent looks like a really key level and uh, away from the technicals though what is this sort of price action into quarter end telling you with a 10-year that's just below three percent yeah, well, a couple of things. You know, we've talked about this, so I'm not splitting the atom here, but I thought yields would go down because, A, market, the economy is slowing, so yields going lower makes sense just fundamentally, and I thought yields would go lower on the back of a market that would continue to sell off, and obviously that's what we saw earlier today. So I think those things go sort of part and parcel, as they say. Two and three quarters make sense. I do think we're going to get there. I think the two years is going to stay stubbornly resilient, and you know, again, I think the twos, tens will probably max out at like minus 30, minus 35 basis points. And I don't think that all goes particularly well for the market. I mean, I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to try to pretend we're in a recession. We're going to a recession. Again, I've said it a hundred times. 
I don't know if that matters for the sakes of the conversation we have about the market, but here we are. You know, it does matter. I mean, when you think about it, you know, we spend so much time as market participants kind of thinking about like economic data that's going to come out, this this PCE, the, you know, that the Fed is very focused on, uh, personal consumption. I mean, all of a sudden now we have inflation, which a lot of people are saying it might be peaking some of the data that we're seeing, but you've been making this point very aptly that it's going to remain pesky and persistent, mm -hmm. even if it comes off of its peak, right, to keep your little PE uh, thing going there. Um, but, you know, we have the PCE, you know, we have consumption going below the inflation rate, right? And we're seeing consumer confidence starting to weaken. So you start seeing signs of recession. What do companies start doing? They start firing people. There's lots of competition for jobs. We see unemployment tick up. You know, all this stuff with the headlines of a recession and with crude oil where it is and the price of the pump and food, this is how the death spiral starts. And yeah. I don't mean like, you know, crashing economy, crashing stock markets or anything like that. But that's how you go from, and we're going to look at the S&P 500 here. A lot of people are scratching their heads because a lot of stocks that they look at or the service of the and the goods of these companies that they use are down 60 70 percent but the S&P is down only 21 percent of the year it doesn't feel that horrible if you're just looking at those headline indices no that's right and it's you know so I'll play along in that context you know if companies hear that we're in a recession I guess to a certain extent it gives them air cover to sort yeah. of uh, clean things out. So, I mean, and get in that respect, maybe it does make a difference. I mean, we could be in one right now for all I know. And quite frankly, you know, layoffs started taking place four or five, six months ago, I think, before anybody really started talking about recession in earnest. But I think you make a valid point. And in terms of the market, the broader market, we've said it for months, the, right below, if you just look right below the surface, stocks are crashing left and right. The only thing that hadn't participated were the indices. Well, now you have a NASDAQ that was probably down at one point, what, 34%. Russell, somewhat less than that. The S&P 500, I think it maxed out around down 23%. But again, it feels as though there's a next leg lower here. Yeah, so let's just kind of take a look at a couple of these headlines. You're going to hear them all weekend, or you're going to see them all weekend, and you're going to hear people talking about this sort of stuff. Is like, you know, the worst first half of the year since 1970 for the S&P 500. Look at this FT just showing you the story of the stock market here so far in 2022 is that energy is obviously massively outperformed. We know why. And then on the flip side of that, and it makes perfect sense that consumer discretionary is down like that. Might we see a moderating of the energy and related sort of industrial materials and then kind of see consumer um, discretionary come back a little bit the back half of the year? Maybe. Well, yeah. Liz is going to talk to us a little bit about what she sees for the back half of the year. But I'm curious on this one from CNBC Pro Guy, when you look at these different six-month periods, right, there are far worse six-month periods going back over the last, I don't know, 50 or 60 years. But when I look at 08 and I look at 09, I look at some of these other dates in the early 70s, we were in really bad recessions and we were in really bad bear markets that were protracted. So when I see that sort of data, it doesn't feel, make me feel better about the fact that the S&P is only going to close down the first six months of this year down 21%. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Now, you know, this is going to be somewhat going to, politics are going to play a huge role in all this verbiage, I think, yeah. in the second half of the year, unfortunately, because we're going to get very, very quickly, we're going to be talking about a midterm election, right? And to your point about consumer confidence, I'm not quite sure what can turn consumer confidence at this point. Um, and it just feels like that trajectory is going to continue lower. And at a certain point, consumer confidence starts to weigh on spending. And since this is such a consumption-driven economy, it almost becomes self-fulfilling.
Now let's see what happens with the broader market. Um, you know, I think we both sort of think that round trip down to 3,200 makes sense for a lot of different reasons. A lot of people out there, not a lot, but there are a few people out there with price targets north of 47, 4,800. You've seen some 5,000. I just don't know how you get there in terms of the math. So we'll see. That downtrend is intact. I thought we would trade up to 4,100 uh, as we got towards quarter end, month end, as we got into a holiday shortened week next week. But doesn't seem like it's coming to fruition anytime soon, Dan. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We spent some time yesterday on the market call talking about the first um, couple weeks of uh, the each month this year, actually six of them on average, they sold off about 10% in the S&P 500. Then we had these counter trend rallies. So we had one, you caught your rally, you had about 9% or so. And I just think at the lows this morning from the highs the other day, you know, we had about a 5% sell off. So it'd be really interesting to see how the start of Q3, you know, what sort of inflows we get. We know that there's been lots of um, outflows. Um, and this one's going to be a bit tougher because if you look at that downtrend, we never got back to it. It would have been almost perfect. Yep. It would have gotten mm -hmm. you to your number. And then you could have started saying, okay, let's focus on earnings and second half guide and, you know, how inflation um, comes in during this period. And when did equity markets start discounting? And I think that's really the story. And you're looking at the NASDAQ here. If you look at the, at the NDX here, these are like, obviously, the much harder hit names and i guess you would suggest also guy that at some point at this summer or into the fall those stocks are going to start to show some relative strength if we're down enough in the major indices well that's i think that's what's going to bolster the second half of the year and i don't know when that starts to take place but i think to your point there'll be certain names six seven of them we talk all the time that have gotten to levels that just sort of make sense you can even wrap your head around it in terms of valuation you know last night we talked to gene munster about apple and Listen, right now, Apple's trading at 21 times next year's numbers. You back out their cash, it's cheaper than that. And we can have a conversation as to whether or not that's justified or not. But with that said, valuation-wise, at least, it's as cheap as it's been in a while. It doesn't mean it can't go lower, though. And one of my thesis has been, you're going to see the market do that next leg lower when Apple reports on or about July 26. Now, you've pointed out a number of times, it is not out of the realm of possibility for Apple to come out and pre-announce now. We'll see what happens if and when that happens, but I'm hard pressed to believe quarter might be fine, but the guide is not going to be particularly good. There are a lot of people looking for 125, and I think that's probably in the cards for Apple. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that caught my eye today, Guy, just the the kind of breadth of stocks that are making or made intraday 52-week lows. And, you know, we've been tracking financial stocks, big banks in particular, talking about that relative underperformance all year to the S&P 500 and what that's been saying to us about the expectations for, uh, you know, an economy that has anything other than a recession at some point in the next, you know, six, nine, 12 months or something like that. But then you start seeing, you know, obviously Target pre-announced after they have had reported a couple months ago, you know, this PayPal has been an absolute disaster. Why do I bring up PayPal? Well, at one point last year, it had a bigger market cap than Bank of America. You know, Nike just had that disappointing guide, disappointing margin guidance, disappointing inventory situation. And NVIDIA, which has been cut in half, this was one of the best stories in all of technology, still trades at a fat, you know, plus 10, or 10 times 
uh, price to sales. But here's one guy I want to, it seems like some of these industrials have just joined the party. Take a look at this deer, which was making new 52 week and all time highs. Okay. Just a couple months ago in April here. And look at this thing. It was just below 450. And now here we are right around 300 bucks. And I used a five year chart here because at the lows during the pandemic, this thing almost traded a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. And you say to yourself, the charts in no man's land, the valuation looks fine, but given everything we know about supply chains and the spotty reopening around the world and the situation in Europe and, you know, the list goes on and on and on, you know, how do you, how do you put your finger up in the air and say deer's a buy at 13 times when we really don't have great visibility, I guess, on, you know, what their earnings is going to yeah, look like. You can't year. is the short answer. And, you know, you think about this stock, we talked about this stock many times on Fast Money, just in terms of still being attractive on value. And that was true. I think what what wound up happening is the commodity markets all seemingly stopped on a dime. And then you had people saying, you know, maybe all the ordering's been done in terms of deer and you wonder what's left on the back end. And I think that's what we're dealing with now. So it looks cheap on valuation. But, you know, when these stocks look really cheap on valuation is typically when you have to be the most leery of them. And I think we find ourselves here. I think you're right in terms of pointing out it's sort of in no man's land. People would say, well, wait a second, the stock's going from 460 down to 300 pretty much in a straight line. It's got to be attractive. And I think probably there's another leg lower. We've seen it before in names like this, and we're in the midst of it now. The other name you brought up is JP Morgan, which, again, you know, everybody's all American in terms of banks. But that stock traded off, what, some 43 or so percent yeah. from peak to trough. I mean, that's a pretty significant move in what a lot of people think is the most important bank in the world. Yep. Matter of factly, they do. Um, you know, real quickly on that deer chart, and I just think it's important to understand this is that, you know, when we were in the throes of that sell off and, you know, in, in, in February, March of 2020, and the S&P was careening lower, went down 35% from its February highs. You know, I think that a lot of investors have to kind of reorient themselves with that mindset right here, because there's a lot of stocks that have obviously crashed. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of ones that we look at, we talk about, you know, on a weekly basis. But when you think about how bad could some of these things get? You look at a chart like Deer and you'd say to yourself, this stock, I mean, the sentiment's not even that bad yet, although it's down 25, 30% in just a matter of months relative to how bad it was a couple of years ago. So again, it's really hard buying a falling knife in the stock market, especially given all the uh, uncertainty, but we're going to spend some time a little bit later in this program talking about that. Guy, I got to hit this one really quickly because you had you, you've, you had a great um, beat on, on crude oil here for the last year or so here. And you know we've been kind of flashing up this chart. We don't have to spend a lot of time on just like politics and the supply demand stuff. Just look at the chart here and tell me that since, you know, early December, when the Biden administration first tapped that strategic petroleum reserve, okay, we had that pretty precipitous sell-off into it, but that was it. And we've held that uptrend the whole way until just about a little more than a week ago here. And now we are like solidly below it Looking at that rising 200-day moving average, looking at that kind of 92 level, is that in the cards? And what would you extrapolate? Is it just like economic weakness and, and some of the measures that the Fed is taking or central banks globally? Yeah. Or is it about production? Give me your sense no, it's here. All of the Where's above. I mean, I hate using that answer, but the reality is that's the case. I mean, it, it's a number of different things. Slowing global economies, central banks seemingly trying to get their arms around inflation, uh, President Biden going to Saudi Arabia on July 13th. That's not political. I mean, that's just out there. Um, and, you know, I think that stocks have basically run ahead of the underlying commodity. So 
the way these stocks have traded, it suggests we should be at 92 or so in crude. But I would submit that even if we got there, the fundamentals are still in place and people will be scratching their head. But supply-demand fundamentals are still completely out of whack and they don't, they don't resolve themselves overnight as much as people want them to. Now, gasoline has come off about 60 cents or so. If you look at the products, they're all suggesting the crude should be lower as well. And, and maybe we do. But I think if you got down to that 92 level, I think... Uh, you want to get back in this energy trade because if you look at some of the underlying things, the OIH, for example, is going from 320 down to 225, pretty much in a straight line. So, in this case, for um, in this case, the the stocks have completely outrun the underlying commodity, and we typically don't see that. All right. Well, here, guy, you know, I start to think here that each week when we get Liz's note from SoFi here that she's really just she's just channeling ways in which she can just kind of get you all worked up during our Thursday market calls here. <laughs> I mean, oh, there she is. We got to bring Giggling. Liz Young in from SoFi. <laughs> guy, you got to you got to go back. You got to spend some time with Liz. I, obviously, we have to hear what she has to say about our thoughts on yields and on, on the stock market and on crude and all that sort of stuff. But this one's a doozy here today. No guy. doubt about it. Listen, I remember seeing this movie in the cinema, uh, The Sound of Music, and I was awestruck by the talent of Julie Andrews. And then I'm like, this Christopher Plummer guy is an interesting dude. But then I'm saying to myself, this Von Trapp family, this has to be complete make-believe. It turns out it's not. This is all based in fact. But the, the, the fact that you can bring this into a market call, I know you found yourself chuckling without question as you were writing out this note, knowing full well uh, how exercised I would be. I thought of you the whole time, <laughs> the whole time. I think I told you last week, I don't write the note until I've thought of the title. And as soon as I came up with raindrops on rallies, I was like, this is going to be my favorite note yet. No, I thought of you the entire time. I re I'm really proud of this one. See, <laughs> and everybody watching, is gonna, I don't know now. which song. I know you, the you were thinking to yourself, okay, do I go um, the way you went, the hills are alive with the sound of music, or do you go the B.J. Thomas route, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, one of Dan's favorite movies, Correct. when raindrops keep falling on my head was sort of a song that oh. meandered its way through. You chose the former. I guess that's good for you. Yep. Yeah, I used to watch this movie with my aunt all the time when I was little. And, what was and my name? favorite scene, my Aunt Nancy. Uh -huh. <laughs> and my favorite scene was when they made clothing out of the curtains. That remained my favorite scene today. Yeah, no, yeah. listen, I mean, you had to do those things back in the day. And those little uniforms they wore were adorable. Let me ask you this quickly. <laughs> you know, we, we went back and forth on Twitter. You got a kick out of the fact that there was some livestock on the road one of our viewers is in a place where apparently that happens and you said um that's a 1054 according to jim pop or jim bob or jim somebody. bob jim bob grandpa james robert jim bob may he rest in peace but he used to have this police radio and we it was in northern wisconsin so there were some odd things that you'd hear come over the police radio there were a lot of back country roads up there and frequently there was livestock on the highway of course <laughs> so we'd, hear, we'd hear a call for 1054 livestock on highway <laughs> that's all i could you, think of when i saw his picture and to this day you giggle about that as well you heard dan and i talking about inverted yield curves and all that stuff first half of the year thoughts before we sort of yeah. drill down let's, on let's be serious for a minute um Okay, so the inverted yield curve thing is interesting because if you go back to earlier in the year, probably sometime in March, you would have heard me say things like, okay, it might invert, but it doesn't count unless it lasts for a month or unless it goes down at least 25 basis points, whatever the case may be. 
And neither of these inversions have been long lasting or deep, right? So if you would have heard me say that in March, you would have said, well, these don't count. But the reality of it is, is that what I didn't see coming is a bunch of mini inversions along the way. And at some point they count because it keeps happening and we can't break above about 10 basis points for the last three or four weeks in this spread. So it now counts as a signal. My biggest concern is that, and th this is in my second half outlook too, my biggest concern now is that if we find out at the end of July that we're in a recession, which I don't think would surprise anybody, we'll find out that it was kind of a strange recession in the sense that the labor market is still so tight. You guys were talking before about some of the economic data turning, but the reality of that too is that it hasn't really fallen that precipitously yet. It's turned, so maybe it's rolled over, but we still have expansionary territory in PMIs. We still have an unemployment rate below 4%. We're hardly at a point where the economy is screaming that things are terrible. So it would be a strange recession because we still have some good indicators. My fear now is that it's a technical recession because we string together two quarters, but it's not big enough to reset inflation and we still have the problem. So maybe we have a little technical recession and then we have a classic recession sometime in the next 12 months that really takes it all down. Classic in the sense that unemployment shoots up, inflation does come down because consumer spending comes down and we have real demand destruction. You know, Liz, that's a really important point. And, and I think a lot of people are waiting for the big R here. You know, the, the one that we can all say, okay, we got that done. We had that inversion and it preceded this recession. And now we can kind of heal and move forward. And I think it's really important to go back in the, those years following the financial crisis. Again, no one knew we were done, right? It ended up being a rolling credit crisis across the globe after it seemed like our banks were at least backstopped a little bit. Um, and it's important to also note that we became obsessed in 2010 and 11 and 12 about the risk of a double dip recession, right? And so when I look at that, that 210 spread and the, the history of inversions going back to 1999, I mean, we had probably, you know, a long period of inverted yield curve in 2000 and 2006. Um, into early 07. Those obviously preceded um, some really, uh, you know, kind of serious recessions and also protracted bear markets. So your point, and, you know, 2019 was a very brief one, but we ended up having a black swan event that caused a recession and a bear market. So if we go again, Guy, weigh in here, because if we do get back under that kind of, you know, that, that inverted level and we stay there, doesn't it almost just kind of mean that we are going to actually have to have lower lows in, in the stock market and then the economy, you know, who knows, given where the, the Fed's balance sheet is. And then also how turned they are, turned around they are relative to those other periods where they had the ability to get easier, right, on monetary policy, which they don't do at the moment because of inflation. Yeah. And I'm not hoping for that, obviously, but what we've been saying for a while is it's really hard to justify the the earnings growth and then the earnings number for the S&P that people were looking for in this environment. And then the other side of that is like, what's the right multiple in a slowing environment? And I, you know, I can't wrap my head around a 20 multiple in a slowing environment with the Fed not backstopping anything. So it's probably closer to the historic norms about 17. Now, people will say, well, wait a second, we're trading about 15 times right now. Yeah, you are. The problem is what you're multiplying that 15 by is going to come down. So it's probably closer to 17 times actual numbers. And then you have to see where we're going to go going forward in terms of the number. I, you know, Maybe 200 is too low in terms of earnings. 
I don't know. I think people are starting to rationalize closer to 210 or so. But again, what's the right number on the back of that? And if it's a 17, 16 and a half or so, you can pretty easily get to the 3200 number that we've been talking about. And that round trips this entire thing. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think people have to remember, we keep comparing this period to the early 1980s because that's the last time we saw inflation this high. But remember what happened in the early 1980s. We had a double dip recession and inflation wasn't fixed until after that second one. And I'm not saying that that has to happen this time because the first time around they were really trying to avert recession, which allowed inflation to keep rising. I don't think that that's going to be necessarily the case this time. But the other thing that you have to remember, and you guys put a table up earlier in the show uh, with, I think, 20% or more declines. On average, the decline in a bear market without a recession in the S&P is 28%. The most we've made it down this year is 23%. So really, this is not that bad yet. Mm -hmm. With a recession, the average drawdown is 44% in the S&P. So it's possible that this drawdown for now is enough. But if we have a real recession later, after we've seen earnings revisions come down, after we've seen the economy finally start to bottom, that drawdown could be much more deep. It could be above 35, 40%. Yeah, and you're gonna hate this though. What's different this time is again, you know, what the Fed has been doing in the lead up to this recession versus their ability to combat a- another one. You know, again, I don't mean to make it sound like a certainty, but um, it just seems even at the lows down 23%, the S&P 500 does not encapsulate all the cross currents that we have. Liz, you had a few sectors here we really wanna drill down on. I think this is important. We're gonna start hearing a lot about what people are thinking, um, you know, what they wanna buy, how they wanna position on the way out out of this difficult economic period. And you have three sectors here in the S&P that I think are really interesting, consumer discretionary, financial, uh, you know, the XLF, which tracks banks. We know that one's a little funky because Berkshire's the largest holding in the XLF. And then the XLV, the healthcare select. And that one we spent some time on with Carter earlier in the week. Talk to us how you're thinking about these because they're all performing very differently in this market right now. Yeah, so let's start with healthcare. And this is more of a don't fight the trend sort of Mm -hmm. statement. There's a lot of people that obviously are invested in discretion. I'm sorry, in defensive sectors right now. That's in my note. So a lot of people piling into staples and utilities. I think those sectors have gotten a bit expensive by now and the trade is pretty crowded. But healthcare is still a classically defensive sector that I think has seen more pain than it deserves. And it shouldn't be as sensitive to inflation, to rate rises, and to some of these macro headlines that are occurring that are affecting everybody else. So healthcare is still a place that I think you can hide out in a defensive zone. You also can get some nice growth opportunity in smaller cap healthcare in the form of biotech. If you move to consumer discretionary, this is kind of a juicy call, and there's a timing mechanism here that's important too. I think that as earnings season starts, and I think you can both agree with me on this, as earnings season starts, we're going to hear really poor guidance, especially out of some of these consumer names. I think the Target and Walmart stuff was not an anomaly. I think there's going to be a lot of companies that are trying to very quickly adjust to changes in consumer behavior, and they're not going to be able to do it at the right time. So I believe that we're going to hear a lot more guiding down, especially in consumer names, and those names are going to get hit. But then once they do, that's when the worst is already out, right? And that's when you can start to drip back into discretionary because if and when we have a little rally or a little relief from volatility later in the year, discretionary could be one of those sectors that comes back out. Classically a growth sector, but I think it's more insulated than tech and communications 
from rate rises. So that's why I choose discretionary there. Financials, this is no surprise to anybody. I've been talking about financials for a while. Obviously, there have been headwinds from a flat yield curve. But I think if you're in an environment where you're looking for companies that are well capitalized, can internally finance, have been careful through this and can make it through a tough environment, financials are actually pretty well positioned, especially in the U.S. Yeah, I agree with that in terms of financials. For sure. I agree all three of those, but the financials certainly, I mean, these banks are in better shape than probably they've ever been. And if you don't think there's going to be some credit hiccup going forward, I mean, these banks, some of them are just flat out cheap. And if you don't think some of that problem that they're facing in Europe is going to manifest itself here, I mean, Citibank's taking the brunt of it. I mean, again, a lot of these banks look really interesting going forward. And names like Goldman Sachs, Dan, we talked about it. They should theoretically be able to trade their way out of this. I don't know if the street's going to reward them for that. But when Goldman traded down to 275 or so a couple of weeks ago, which is basically book value, we said, you know, here's an opportunity to buy the stock in earnings. And they all report, I think, from the 16th on, I think you can own these names in the earnings middle of July. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that we took a look at the consumer discretionary. And I agree with you, Liz, that that's likely to be the one that kind of ricochets off of a bottom when we kind of have it. That's where you're going to get, I think, a lot of the alpha. When you think of the construction of that ETF, the only issue that I have is that 24% or so is Amazon and then about 18% is Tesla. And, and, you know, Guy and I feel like, and I know you don't speak uh, on single stocks. We think there's lower lows, or at least I do, in Tesla. I think that one has to burst. And I, I think Amazon probably doesn't have much more to the downside. If there was one more guide, um, you know, lower, maybe this thing sees something with an eight handle. And I know that's 20% away. And stock is already down 45% from its all-time highs last year, down 35% on the year. But that's the one I think that you're going to see um, a lot of investors kind of move into. But I do like consumer discretion. I wish Tesla wasn't in there because it seems kind of odd to me um, given the, the weight of it there. Guy, one last one. I, I got to get your take here on RH. This is a mm-hmm. stock. Uh, this is Restoration Hardware. We've spent some time over the last six to nine months talking about this company's commentary, and they've kind of been ahead of the curve. You know, you've seen what the stock has done. It's round trip that entire move. And, and granted, there were some really kind of weird housing dynamics um, during the pandemic um, that kind of lent itself to, to this company's, um, you know, just as it relates to just their product or the work from home and all that sort of stuff here. Talk to me about what you hear about that, because I think today's gap down about 10% or so on that guide after the stock is down from, you know, what, 740 or something? or so. I mean, you think about where the stock was, where it went, where it yeah. subsequently come down to. I mean, now you can start looking at this name. It feels like capitulation to me. I wish the volume was more so today. I think it's only traded about two and a half million shares, typically trades a little north of a million shares a day. I would love for it to trade 10 million shares today on this move and say, you know what, that was it. Because even if the stock just bounces, I mean, you can get a 35% bounce from these levels and still be in this downtrend. So I think today's where people are throwing in the towel. But some of the commentary that you heard from Restoration Hardware is not unlike the commentary you've heard from a number of different retailers. Everybody seems to be in the same boat. Question is, will they figure it out? But at least for RH, for the first time in a while, you can actually look at this and say, wait a second, this is not as bad as it looks. And you can make a pretty compelling case on this flush on valuation. So I think what you're saying is it might be worth a look here. I agree. 
Yeah. Well, I, again, you know, if if it was a canary in the coal mine six to nine months ago, it's likely to um, probably bottom first, especially if you can make some fundamental cases for the stock once they get this inventory situation under control. All right, Liz, before we let you get out of here, we got we got to get your take on this. So, you know, our friend John Butters got got guys made him what infamous, famous. I what do you mean, John Butters? Butters. Butters, I mean, Butters. Like, you know, we talk about it all the time. I mean, we've now coined you EY from SoFi, which is definitely caught on. I know the Twitterverse has. I mean, Cher, oh, yeah. Madonna, Bono, Sting. We'll throw <laughs> Butters in there and we got a friggin' band. Yeah. Well, 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 here's the deal. So John Butters over there um, at FactSet, he writes the Earnings Insight blogs. It comes out every Friday morning. You can sign up for it over there at FactSet. He gives us a bit of a preview here um, of what's going to be in that note tomorrow. And I think this one's really interesting, especially as we go into um, quarter end here and we start thinking about what Q2 earnings are going to look like and what forward guidance is going to look like. And he's talking this week about the negative um, EPS guidance that they're seeing um, from the S&P 500 company. Companies, he said the numbers are not at peak levels. 71 uh, of the S&P 500 companies have issued negative EPS guidance for Q2 2022. That's this current quarter. Now, obviously, we're going to see how that all shakes here, shakes out here. Talk to us a little bit about this sort of data because it's important. It's how investors start thinking about what the setup is into, right? Earnings season, what companies have already come out and negatively pre-announced and are they likely to do it two quarters in a row? Guy and I have been in this business a bit longer than you. You're far younger than us. Um, but, you know, we usually can tell you that it takes more than one quarter. You know what I mean? Like, like these sorts of events are not one quarter events. So talk to us a little bit about how you're thinking about well, like negative tea, guidance. By the way. <laughs> I was trying not to cough into my microphone. Well, okay. So there's, there's a sequence of events that usually has to happen. The market bottoms first, Mm -hmm. then earnings bottom, then the economy bottoms, right? So what we've been talking about this whole time is that earnings weren't reflecting all of the weakness that we were hearing about, that we were seeing in some of the other data. And that's certainly not all the weakness that we were seeing in the market. So I think they can issue negative guidance two quarters in a row. And if this guidance is just for Q2, they still need to issue negative guidance for Q3 and Q4. We're still at 10% earnings growth for both of those quarters. And that just does not make sense given where things seem to be headed. So I think we're going to hear some tough words from CEOs. I think we're going to hear not only that Profit margins are going to be squeezed because of the increased costs that they're incurring. I know, I think it was last quarter, uh, Butter's report said it was 85% of companies that had mentioned inflation as a headwind. We're going to continue to hear that because inflation has not come down, obviously, as quickly as we've wanted it to. Wages have also cut into their margins. The saving grace here, though, is that if you look at profit margins over history, they're still at historical highs. So there's a pretty big buffer for a lot of companies to eat some of this cost, but I think they're running out of time. And I think we talked about this maybe six months ago where it was, you know, that can only last so long. Those big margins can only last so long. And at some point they either have to pass it all through or they take a hit. And I think we're at a level now where they're going to start to take a hit and we're going to hear about it this quarter. And Dan, before we say goodbye to EY from SoFi, I would submit this is actually a good thing, though. I mean, this to me is the beginning of sort of the healing process that you need. You need to start to hear things like that before you can make the turn. So it might be painful going through it, but, you know, we can't get to the other side without hearing things like this. So the fact that Butters puts this note out and you see these types of numbers, although not at historical levels, makes me feel like we're closer to the end than the beginning, EY. 
I agree. We're, we're doing the work and you have to do the work. The only way out is through. And I think we're trudging through it right now. Well, the only way out for you is to say goodbye to Dan and I as you head into your 4th of July <laughs> weekend. You can watch some <laughs> Brewers baseball. Uh, you can talk about what the Bucks will do as free agent season opens up here in the NBA. What do they need to tweak in order to get back to that championship form that they lost this year, unfortunately? But I think they can climb that mountain once again. Uh, we need to have an NHL team in Milwaukee. The fact that we don't is just ridiculous, in my opinion. But your Brewers, um, I think they're going to surprise some people as we get closer to the trade deadline in August. And I think that's a team the National League is not paying enough attention to. Dan, I know you feel that way as well. I, I do. But, Guy, I think you're kind of bearing the lead here. Our good friend from Wisconsin, you spent a lot of time on Wisconsin sports. It's her birthday this weekend. It's not just America's, it's not just America's birthday. It is Liz's <laughs> birthday. And we want to wish you a very special birthday wish. Thank you. Thank you. That's My family fantastic. made me believe growing up that all the fireworks, because they usually have the fireworks on July 3rd, not the 4th, which my birthday is the 3rd, that all the fireworks were for me. And I really believed that until I was about 10 years old. I think. So but now I just a, still use it. Can I tell you something? There's a part of you, though, that still believes that. And you know what? You should. <laughs> it's true. It's true. My dad will text me that it's still true. <laughs> Well, please, I, I'm sorry that Jim Pop is no longer with us or Joe Pop Jim, or Jim, Jim Bob. Bob. But, you know, now 1054 will have new meaning for me. EY, happy early birthday. Enjoy the holiday weekend. Thank you always for joining us on Market Call. Thanks, guys. See you later. Thanks, Liz. Have a good one. So, Dan, you have something you like. This is like a Dan Nathan special, this mind the gap thing. And we got a couple names that you want to mind the gap. I love this. I mean, I, yeah. I, I love the graphic. I love the whole thing. Yeah, so here, here, obviously Amanda Diaz did that. I, I have no capabilities when it comes to these kind of tricked out graphics, but I was thinking about some stuff. So this morning I bought a little Netflix. This is the first time I kind of dipped my toe into the one in this one. I've talked about PayPal. I bought that um, in May and I added a little bit um, this month also down uh, a bit from where I bought it here. And I'm starting to think about these names, you know, looking past 2022. And, um, you know, one thing that's consistent about all these stocks is they're down about 75, 80% from their all time highs back then. I thought the highs actually made no sense. I wasn't interested in them when they corrected to only trading at 20 times sales or 10 times sales. I basically said to myself, these companies that I think are going to be around, that the stocks will at some point perform very well once again, okay? I wanted to see like the price to sales at like a hat size. And I'm not talking like a year hat size, mm -hmm, something in the mm -hmm, eight to nine mm -hmm. kind of way. I'm talking about maybe like, you know, a kid's hat size or something. So, but the thing is trying to buy these stocks, and this is just my experience over 25 years of, of thinking about how to buy things that were once expensive and then could turn into value and then could not only go up 100%, but 200%, 300% over a multi-year period. That's how I'm thinking about these three names. Um, I have not touched Zoom yet, but I think it's really important to remember is that Zoom is down about, I don't know, 75, almost 80%. It's up 55% guy from those lows, okay, in May here. And I say to myself, okay, it's not kind of cheap enough. You look at that thing, it's trying to make a bottom. Look at the five-year chart though. And you just say, optically, 
right? Like, why won't there be one more gap? If there's another kind of earnings um, disappointment and guide lower, that would be the sort of bloodletting that makes sense when, you know, you say the sentiment is totally washed out, no one left to sell it. And I'm just going to run through these and then I'd love to get your kind of take. So today, first time in years, I bought Netflix. It's down from 700 down here at 170 bucks or so. And then when you look at the five year, and again, what's the chart say? The chart doesn't say anything other than as Carter likes to say, there's a lot of memory right in these levels here might it round trip that move all the way back to 2017 is there another gap to 150 sure on a on a negative print and a guide lower and then the last one is just this paypal and i just want you to kind of see these levels on a one year they look washed out on a five year you say to yourself there's another tape bomb here right and these things could go lower and the only point i'm trying to make here is that if you want to buy something and you have a long-term time horizon you can't just go in and buy a full position you got to do it little by little in a name like this in a market like this especially when investors are shooting first and asking questions later but the last point i'll make here and this is what the 2002 period taught me the third year of that bear market okay after the dot com is that things have to get downright nasty and just where no one can even stand owning something anymore right until these sorts of stories have bottomed and have totally corrected from a sentiment standpoint yeah, capitulation is what we call it. Well, I don't think we've seen it yet, although these stocks would suggest we're pretty damn close. And I yeah. think to your point, you're looking for things that can rally not only 100% over the next few years, but 200 300%. And that's not out of the realm of possibility in all three of those names. Netflix is the one that sticks out the most to me, but it doesn't necessarily matter. Those are names that if you have the temerity of word I like to use for you playing bingo, and you have that type of time horizon, you could get a two or three bagger in these names. And I think your point about it's not over yet to the downside, I think that's right. But it doesn't mean you can't stop dipping. You start dipping your toe, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, and I guess the last point I'll just make on this is that like with that RH that was also down 70-some percent or so, today it's down 10%, you know, on a negative guide. And, you know, to be honest with you, I thought it could have been a bit worse on Mm -hmm. the price, you know, like, like, so who knows where it goes. I guess the point is, is like sooner or later you have to make a decision on what you like, what you like long-term, what your risk tolerance is and how you're going to do it. And you start picking at things. and so to me, I'm clearly starting to pick at things that are down 70, 80%. But stocks that are down 80%, okay, doesn't mean they can't get cut in half again. And that's really important. And that's why risk management is really important. So whatever number that you think is like reasonable to dip your toe in to start doing things, like don't think it's too small because the one thing that you will have on your side if you start dollar cost averaging in volatile markets and volatile names is that you didn't go in too hard, too fast. And so that's just my experience from doing it. I just don't want to kind of be sitting around with the market bottom and some of these already doubled off their lows and saying, I wish I had started little by little guy. I think that's exactly right. Listen, everybody have a great holiday weekend. We're obviously not back on Monday. That's the holiday. See you on Tuesday. But that's it for today's market call. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi. We're obviously powered by Open Exchange. Uh, thank you, as always, EY from SoFi. Follow her on Twitter, at Liz Young Strat. Sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter if you haven't already, SoFi.com slash daily. Like us on Twitter, like the video, leave comments, do what you need to do on whatever social media you're using. We'll see you back again on Tuesday, folks. Have a great weekend. All right, see you. Have a great weekend.